Hello and welcome to this message from the room. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the this morning is going to be in the area of giving and uh, today I want to talk specifically uh, in the area of giving and finances. Certainly uh, I could take this scripture and as I begin to unpack the scripture before you this morning and even expound on the different things that are in the scripture we could certainly apply it to multitude of areas uh, concerning giving such as our time, energy, abilities and so forth but uh, today I want to focus specifically uh, on talking about giving in the area of finances. And so before I get into the text and uh, really start expounding on the text and talking about it more in detail, I want to set it up by talking to you about a principle that I think is important for us to understand that comes to us um, out of the scripture and then really sets the tone for some of the things that God commands us to do in the New Testament. And I think here's what I, what I feel like. I was thinking about this this morning and I feel like a lot of times things are lost, uh, the meat of things are lost sometimes in the New Testament because we don't understand the Old Testament context in which they flow out of. Something that I think everybody needs to understand, especially when we talk about giving in the area of finances, is that, uh, of course, New Testament is the new covenant that Jesus has come and he's established for us. But he never came to do away with the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. What he did is actually came and he layered upon top of it a measure of grace. And he made the New Testament come alive through the eyes, or the Old Testament come alive through the eyes of the New Testament. And if you don't understand that and don't get that, you're going to miss a lot of meat and a lot of power that the New Testament is built upon. And so it's just good for us to understand that, and especially when it comes to uh, the area of finances and, uh, and get that. Uh, everybody in this room, uh, I believe, are good people. Nobody else believes that about you. I'm the only one in the room that believes that about you. You don't believe it about yourself. I believe you're good people. Amen. I believe you love God. Oh, come on. And if, and if you will receive what I'm teaching today and apply it, I believe this is an area you're going to quickly see change begin to take place. This is an area that um, I wouldn't say immediate results come forth, but I would say rapid results come forth. And you can immediately see changes take place in your life. And so here's the principle. And the, and the principle is simple, is that the first things, the first things belong to God. The very first things belong to God. God is a God who wants you to honor Him with the first things. And so I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures that kind of flow out of that principle. Uh, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament so that you can understand where they're coming from when, when they're given in scripture. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit uh, with all, of, all your, of all your increase. So the first things belong to God. In Matthew 6.33 he says it like this. He says, this is Jesus talking. He says, but seek first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. What's he really saying there? He's saying that in every aspect of life, look to God first. Put God first. Make God the preeminence of every decision and the central uh, focus of every decision that you make. So the first thing I do is consider God and dedicate what I have to Him in all areas of life. Somebody say all. We're not talking about just in specific areas of life, but we're talking about all. When Jesus actually added the layer of the New Testament and began to teach the New Testament, it was a, it was a gospel that, that invaded every aspect of your life. Things were no longer localized and uh, compartmentalized, but Jesus said, I want to be God of all or I don't want to be God at all. And so he's saying here in this scripture, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His ways, His his, life, his ideas, his thoughts, and everything else is going to be added to you. So what's he saying to us? That when we put God first, he takes care of the rest. When we put God first and we think of him first, he takes care of the details of everybody else. How many of you would like to have somebody to manage the details of your life? Just give me the highlights and I'll let somebody else handle all the details. Well, God's saying to us this morning, if you'll take care of the priorities, if you'll take care of the important things, then I'll handle the details of your life and I'll make sure everything lines up and works out like it's supposed to. So with this principle, principle in mind, the principle that first things belong to God, today I want to preach to you hands off, hands off. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Spirit of God that's in this place. Thank you, Lord God, for the anointing that rests upon my life and gives me the ability to communicate truths and principles to your people this morning. God, I thank you for the anointing that allows them to receive and to em embrace the, the, the truth of God's word and let it produce something good and steady and, and fruitful in their lives every single day. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So now let's go to our text. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. Let me set up the story here for you. Joshua has just crossed over uh, into the promised land. He's crossed over the Jordan River. And he's getting ready to march upon the first city, the first city that uh, God has brought them to in conquering the land of Canaan. Now remember, the principle is that the first things belong to who? God. So the first city here belongs to God. It is His city. It is the beginning, the first fruit of what is to come. And so the children of Israel are getting ready to march upon the, the city of Jericho. It is walled. It is fortified. It is a menacing site. It is something that is, that is serious here. This is not just some heap or some ruin, but it is a fortified city with a well-formed army, and this is going to be a big task to overcome. And the fact is, they're not going to overcome it unless God is fighting for them and with them in the battle. And so this is what God speaks to Joshua before he marches on the city. This is what he tells him to do in verse 17 of chapter 6. He says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Now remember that they went out and spied the land. And uh, when they were spying the land, Rahab uh, took a couple of men and she guarded them and she protected them so that they weren't taken by the people of the city. And so because she did that, God's looking out for her. Again, he's handling the details of our lives if we'll just do what's right. Amen? 
And so she, she, she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And, by, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, if you have your Bible and you write in your Bible, then underline that word, those two words, accursed things. I'm going to come back to it in just a minute and explain that to you. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. The first things belong to God. This is the first city that they're conquering in Jericho. And God clearly tells them up front, look, everything that's in this city is mine. You're giving it to me as an offering. This is the first fruits of what is to come in the future. And if you will honor me and put me first in this conquest, then I'm going to line them up like dominoes and I'm going to take them out one by one. But the key to it all is obedience. The key to it all is honoring what God clearly tells them to do. So let's look at some words here and let's talk about the language of the text because I think there's some things in here we look at it and we think, oh my Lord, that's strong language. That means something different today perhaps, than even what it meant in the days uh, past. And so the first thing we look at is in verse 18 when it says, abstain from the accursed things. That word accursed really speaks of the dedicated things. Things that are set aside, things that are dedicated to God. It doesn't mean that there are things that have a curse on them or things that are troublesome to the children of Israel, but rather what it's speaking of there is that I have some things in that city that I have claimed for myself, God speaking, and I have dedicated them to me and they're mine. And so abstain from them. Don't touch them. Those are my things and you're not going to mess with them. It goes on to say, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, the dedicated things, and make the camp of Israel a curse. Now we read that and we think, oh my Lord, what's he talking about? God's putting juju on us. Or there's some voodoo at work here in the text. That's not what it means at all. How many of you understand that before you were saved, you were under the, the curse of sin? You were born un, into a world that was under the curse of sin. And without Jesus Christ, you are remaining exposed to the curse of sin. But what God does through Jesus Christ specifically is that when we receive Him as Lord and Savior of our life, He takes us out from under the curse of sin. He covers us and He shields us from the very things that were meant to harm us, God protects us from and provides for us in, in, in our lives, in our situation. And so when it's saying here, look, that... Lest you become a curse when you take up the cursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse. What he's saying is when you disobey me and you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you remove yourself from out from under my covering and my protection and you expose yourself to the very enemy that means to do you harm. That's good stuff. And so even in Malachi when we read the scripture and it says in Malachi 3.10 that you are cursed with a curse. What's God talking about there? Does that mean that God is cursing you? No, God does not curse His people. God loves us. God is always looking for ways to bring about good into our lives, right? But what He's saying there is that when we're cursed with a curse, what have we done? We have stepped out from under His canopy of protection and provision, and we have said we can do it better on our own, and God says, I'm going to stand back, and we'll just see how this plays out. Because the fact is we're very vulnerable without God. 
Our enemy can be defeated, but only through Jesus Christ. And when we remove ourselves from His protection and provision, we expose ourselves to a foe who is much greater than we are, and we make ourselves vulnerable to Him. Verse 19 says this, it says, But all the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, are consecrated. That means they are set apart to the Lord. He's establishing here with His people. You're going in. This is a new endeavor. This is a shift in the way that you think. You've been living in the wilderness for years and years and years. You've been looking to me to, uh, to wake you up in the morning and provide you with manna every single day. But he says, as you go into the promised land, I'm going to begin to shift the way that you think. I'm going to shift the way that you operate. I'm going to be a partner with you, but we're going to be partners. And you're going to do your part, and I'm going to do my part, and together we are going to conquer this land, and we're going to make it what it ought to be. God has allowed us to be partners with him in everything that we're doing in this life. Jesus is a very um, present help to you in, in times of life and in situations. And he wants to be your partner, but you have to allow him to be that. And it takes trust. It takes commitment. It takes following him and honoring him and obeying him. So here's the first thing that we need to understand is that giving starts with obedience. Giving starts with obedience before they ever marched on the city. Before they ever picked up arms to go after the enemy. God gives them a very clear command. This is the way I want it done. When you go into the city and when I give it into your hands, don't touch my stuff. I'm going to dedicate it to myself because the first belong to me. God has reasons, church, this morning for asking us to obey Him. God has reasons for asking you to obey Him throughout Scripture. Scripture was never meant to be a list of do not do's that just simply uh, constrain us, limit us, and keep us from enjoying life. They are, they are lists of uh, commands or, or principles, precepts that lead us towards provision and protection. God is always trying to get the very best things to you. And you have to trust Him in that area if you're ever going to obey Him. If you feel like God's holding out on you, or if you feel like God doesn't have your best interest in mind, or if you feel like God is always looking for ways to bring trouble into your life and, and to reprimand you for behavior or correct you for, for uh, failures in your life, then you're going to miss the fact that He's trying to bless you, trying to bring provision to your life, and He's always trying to protect you, and you're not going to trust Him enough to obey Him in the process. Obedience is one of those hot-button words, isn't it? I mean, we've taken them out of marriage vows altogether now, Right? I remember our marriage and I had to say those words. I promise to obey you for the rest of my life. It got flipped. The script got flipped on me. No. No. But it's true. We, we, we don't like to hear the word obedience. 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 What, what does that mean? That, that seems legalistic. That seems harsh. That seems, uh, that seems just uh, counter to our culture culture but God is saying here look I'm trying to release blessings in your life and you're going to have to operate by the kingdom principles if you want them released and he's saying look if you'll just listen to me and obey me even if you don't understand completely every reason as to why I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do trust that I will be doing it for your benefit 
and it's for your good. No one likes to hear about obedience, but listen, when it comes to God, obedience has to do with two things. It has to do with trust, and it has to do with faith. It has to do with trust, and it has to do with faith. Trust that He is doing what is best for me. Can you really today trust the Lord that He is always working things out for your good? Now think about it. Well, it's easy for us to say, oh, of course, Pastor. Yeah, absolutely. But do we really trust that He is doing everything within His power, only limited by our reaction to Him and our acceptance and openness toward what He is doing to really get us the best things in life? Trust that what He is doing is the best thing for me. The second thing it requires is faith. Faith that He will deliver on the promises that He says in his scripture. The scripture is full of promises. Promises that God makes personally to each and every one of us. And we have to engage our faith through obedience that we truly believe that what God says he will do, he will eventually do. And so if God says he will bless me, then what's keeping that from happening? Is it my actions? Is it my disobedience? Is it something that I'm not honoring him in? Am I taking some things that belong to him? Or am I honoring him and I'm just waiting on that faith to release and materialize the very blessing that God promises me in life? So the question that I want to ask you this morning is what is God asking us to do today? What is God asking us to do today? Let's talk about specifically in the area of finances. Malachi 3.10 says bring all the tithe into the storehouse. This is a huge act of faith. A huge step of faith. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of areas that I don't have any trouble trusting God in. And then there's certain areas that I have a really hard time trusting God in. Because I've got situations that are staring me in the face. And I've got this th other things coming on. And it may not be finances for you. It may be relationships. I can trust God with finances, but when it comes to relationships... I just seem to think that I know better than he does. And I don't have trust and I don't have faith with him in that situation. So what is God asking us to do? Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Remember we talked about uh, when we received offering over the last few weeks that the tithe represents that tenth. And not, not just the tenth, but that first tenth. Why? Because the first belong to God. So trust him and obey him in faith. Let your trust... Today, maybe, maybe you say, Pastor, I've just never done this. I've never acted upon this. I've never uh, really tested this in my life to see if it will work. I'm just saying today that trust God somewhere. Start somewhere. And let God take you from where you can trust Him to a place where you can trust Him deeper and more and broader in your life. But start somewhere. You've got to begin at some point to allow God to grow it and develop it. Let your trust and faith start somewhere and grow it into what it ultimately needs to be. Amen. Let's look on Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the dedicated things. 
For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Achan, what's happened here now from chapters 19 or chapter 6, verse 19 to now 7 uh, 1 is that they've gone into Jericho, they've marched around the city, God gave them a specific plan on how to defeat the city, and they actually never even done anything. God took care of it. They just simply obeyed God, and God worked it out and destroyed the city. They march upon the city. They do pretty much everything that God asked them to do, except you've got this one guy, and his name is Achan, and he decides that he's going to deviate from God's plan and do something a little bit different. And this is what he does. He takes of the things of God, and he begins to hide them and put them amongst his own stuff. Achan is this guy who, just like everybody else among the congregation of Israel clearly understands that God has given them a command and then he clearly ignores the command. Why does he do that? Why does Achan decide that, well, God's command is good for everybody else, but for me, I'm going to deviate? Don't you like people like that? That think the rules don't apply to them? I'm just going to do what I want to do. Everybody else follow the rules. And you know, most of the time, people that don't follow the rules, the first ones point out that you're not following the rules. Isn't that true? It's true. So Achan clearly understands, why does he ignore the command of the Lord? Because at the core of his decision, because at the core of his decision, one of two things is, is happening. Either he believes this, he believes he has to take care of himself, and he has to provide for himself, and that God is not trustworthy to do so, or he thinks he deserves something that he really does not deserve. He feels entitled. And so one of two things are happening with him. He doesn't trust God to take care of his needs, or he just simply feels like he was extra awesome today in battle. He, he did a little extra marching than everybody else does, and he deserves just a little something that nobody else got. He feels entitled. I think both are dangerous places for us to be. For us to feel like God owes us something. Hey, hold up. What does God owe us? We don't want what God owes us. Amen. If we got what we were owed, we'd all be sent to a devil's hell. But God gave us what he wanted us to have rather than what was owed to us. And so we're entitled to nothing. The other part of that is not trusting God and not having faith that He is trustworthy and He is looking out for us. So here's my second point this morning. Is that we have to be careful how we handle God's things. Be careful how we handle God's things. The first thing that I have to understand today is that I don't have a right to what belongs to God. I don't have a right to what belongs to God. Achan thought he had a right, and we don't understand exactly why he felt like he had this right. We have some speculation about that. But the fact is, at the, at the end of the day, Achan thinks, I've got a right to some things that really, God clearly says, belong to me. And I've taken them, I've hid them, as if God would not understand that or would not know that. We have to be willing to resist some unrightful rights some rights that we think we have in life 
rights that we think we're owed, entitlements that we think God owes us. Well, I, I sing really good today, God, so I feel like I've earned something with you. Or, God, I really ushered like nobody's ever ushered before today, God. And so today I feel like I'm owed something. Or maybe, God, I preached the house down today and I just feel like because I did a good job that you owe me. And I've given myself some indulgences along the way because of what I've earned or what I believe I'm entitled to do. Here's what we have to understand is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The Bible tells us that the earth is His and the fullness thereof. So what does that encompass? It encompasses everything. So ultimately everything belongs to God. And what He does because of His grace is He entrusts me with portions of His his kingdom and portions of His uh, property and portions of His provision. And He gives it to me and He says, Here, I'm going to see how you handle what I'm giving you. But understand that it's all mine anyway. You're just simply a steward of what I give you. If we started treating our stuff as though it belonged to God rather than as though it belonged to us, what would change in our life? How would things be different for us? What could God bless if we treated things with open hands and trusted Him with everything that we have been given? Here's what God does. He says it all belongs to me, but He entrusts me with 90%. We get a paycheck. We get to keep, according to God's word, 90%. And he says this to us. He says, look, you need to keep your hands off of the other 10%. Now, it's going to come to you, and it's going to actually be put into your hand, but how you handle that 10% is critical. It's critical how we handle the things that God puts in our hands. Because if we mishandle them, look, he's less likely to put more stuff in our hand. But if we handle it well, he gives it to us and he continues to, to multiply it, continues to grow it, and continues to develop it. Not just any 10%, but what 10%? The first 10%. Why? Because the first things belong to God. You can tell a lot about a person by how they handle the things that God places under their dominion, under their authority, under their power. God each week gives us the resources that we need. He gives us provision in our lives. And the way we handle that says a lot about our character. It says a lot about how we trust God. It says a lot about the faith that we have in Him and that we believe that He is ultimately our provider and He is working things out for our good. So what are you doing with the things that belong to God? How are you going to handle the authority that God has given to you. Let's look at verse 1 here. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Now I find that interesting that it is Achan who commits the sin. Right? It's clear. It is Achan who disregards God's law and disregards what God is asking him to do. And he is the one that commits the sin. But it says here in verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the, the dedicated things. Why the children of Israel? Didn't Achan do the sinning? Didn't Achan decide that his way was better than God's way? Why is it that one man's decision is getting pinned on the whole nation? And here's why I believe that that is true. It's because you can't only be a part of the body 
when it's convenient. You can only be a part of God's body when it's convenient for you to do so. Sometimes we're a part of the body and other parts of the body ain't acting right. But their actions still affect me regardless of what I'm doing. Because you can't just be part of the body when you want to. You're either a part of it in good times and bad times or you're not a part of it. And so we have built in our minds this independent mindset that says to us, I can do what I want to do, how I want to do, and it only affects me. When in reality, the scripture and God's word from the Old Testament to the New Testament speak very much differently concerning the body of Christ. We are all a part of the body. And what you do and what I do very much affects you either directly or indirectly. So here's my third point, is that your personal choices affect the whole. Your personal choices affect the whole. Let's look at the latter part of verse 1. It says, so the anger of the Lord burned against who? The children of Israel. Now I'm thankful that as we lay this layer of the New Testament on top of the Old Testament, now we have this little thing called grace. And God's grace takes care of the Lord's anger that burns against us. Now I'm not saying that there's not consequences for our actions. I'm not saying that we can do whatever we want to and it doesn't affect other people or that God's grace is just going to automatically cover everything that I do. There is a difference between accidentally sinning and making mistakes in life and there's another thing to go blatantly into sin and just reject and refuse to honor what God is saying. And we need to be careful about that, but certainly we have grace applied here. A refusal to honor the Lord, listen to me church, not only affects you, but it also affects me. My refusal to honor the Lord not only affects me, but it also affects you. Your sorry attitude doesn't just affect you. Amen. Your your refusal to give uh, your energy and your time doesn't just affect you. Well, it's between me and God. Well, yeah, that's true to a certain degree, but who else is suffering along with you because of your refusal to honor God? Your refusal to give Him the first things in your life. It doesn't just affect you. Believe me, I wish... I wish a lot of the mistakes that I made didn't affect anybody but me. But the fact is, that's just not reality. And if I fail you today, it's easy for us to see it from the pastor's point of view. If I make a mistake and I go out here and stand and commit some immorality, does it just affect me and my family? Absolutely not. It affects everybody in this church. And if you go out and you do things that are contrary to the ways of God, the spirit in which you do those things certainly affects this entire body of believers. Amen. The quicker we understand that and the quicker we operate like a body, the more God can bless, the more God can multiply, and the more God can release His presence into this place. Amen. So refusal to honor the Lord not only affects you, but it affects me. And when we don't walk in obedience... And we don't handle with care the things of God. You start messing with my blessing in the process. You start affecting what God is trying to do, not only through me, but to, for me and in me. 
Because I believe this, private obedience releases corporate blessing. And private disobedience restrains corporate blessing. If I honor the Lord, will God bless me? Yes. But will the blessing be restrained because I'm not operating as a part of the body? Absolutely. Or if I am being disobedient to God, will God deal with me? Absolutely. But I have to believe that my personal decisions also affect the corporate body of believers. Achan is the only one doing what he's not supposed to be doing. But it's not Achan that ends up dealing with the consequences of it directly. Now later on in scripture he will. But initially... It says here in the verse, and I'm not going to get into this today, but I'll pick it up later, that the men went up to fight the next city. They had no idea that Achan had done what he has done. He has restrained uh, the blessing of God, the covering of God, the protection of God, and now they've moved on and they're ready to conquer the next city, which is just a heap of ruin, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to just overthrow it easily. But it says in the scripture that 36 men died because of sin in the camp. One of them was not Achan. Now if that's not ironic, I don't know what is. And so my point today is simply this. That giving starts with obedience. We have to trust the Lord and we have to have faith that He is going to take care of us if we will simply honor His word. It also speaks of handling well the things that God gives us. I'm treating the things that come into my hands and come into my dominion, come under my authority and power, like they are God's and they are not mine. And so I handle them very carefully. And if God chooses to bless me, then He does. And if He doesn't, then I trust Him anyway that it's for my good and for the advancement of His kingdom. And the last thing that I want us to take away this morning is that my decisions don't just affect me, they affect the entire body. They affect the entire body. We are not an isolated group of individuals, but we are a single organism called the body of Christ. And if one of us hurts, it affects everybody in the place. If one of us is obedient, it releases blessing in the place. If one of us is disobedient, it restrains blessing in the place. Will we still have some blessings that flow to us? Yeah, but they won't be at the level that God wants to release them without us together being a, a group of believers that obey and follow and listen to what God is asking us to do. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burgrenette, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after Till I found myself